Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, please join me in uh, asking for God's blessing upon his word. Our Father in heaven, we have gathered this evening to hear from you, and we ask now as we turn to the reading and the preaching of your word that you would open our ears, that you would prepare our hearts that we would hear, that we would receive, understand, and, and that we would truly benefit from the feast of your word. Give faith tonight, O oh God. Grow and mature our faith, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Ephesians 1, congregation, this is God's word. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself." that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that that, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and of your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, to the fullness of him who fills all 
in all. So far the reading of God's word. Well, beloved congregation, I don't know about you, but sometimes it seems to me that uh, life is full of tests. Life is full of tests. It seems like there's always some kind of evaluation going on. In fact, one of my earliest memories was before I could read. I was at a Sunday morning worship service, and I'm looking through the bulletin, and there I began to wonder if, if just maybe the sins I had committed that week were printed for all to see. I still remember fearing that possibility, fearing the judgment that would come. Now, maybe your memory's a bit different. Maybe you remember growing up and your mom and dad coming to check on your room, whether or not you actually cleaned your room or if you just pushed everything under the bed or into the closets. Tests, evaluations, judgment. There are tests at school. There are, are judgments made in sporting events. And I recently heard of a of an underdog choir that went to a state competition and, and here they were giving it their all and after a full's day of singing, the tests, the results start coming back and, and once you know what the fifth, the fifth group is announced, the fourth, the third, the second and that little choir, the underdogs are thinking, is it possible? Could we maybe have been judged the best of all? And all of a sudden there they were announced and they just erupt singing Shouting, filled with joy, that they were judged worthy of such an honor. Tests, evaluation, judgment can bring fear, trembling, and there are those unique times that we can be filled with a unique sense of joy. And it is to those things we speak tonight as we turn in, in, in our Christian confession of what the scriptures speak to with respect to not only the judgment of God in general, but the session of Christ in particular. What we're going to find is that both the Old and the New Testament speaks of this judgment of God. And both speak of this session of Christ. The word session is not so familiar to us. It, it, was, it was much more familiar to the saints some generations ago. It comes from a Latin word that means seat. And it's, it grew in, in church and theological circles to speak of the seat of Christ, who was seated at the right hand of God the Father. In, in, in popular uh, usage today, we talk about maybe that, that Congress is in session. Congress is in session. What we're referring to, to then is that the, the powers and authorities that be have taken their seat and they are exercising their right to make judgments. And that's, and that's what is in mind when the church has confessed throughout the generations the session of Christ 
that Jesus Christ has taken his rightful seat at the right hand of God the Father, far above every rule and authority and power and dominion, until he is all in all. But let's take it one step at a time. First off, as we think about the session of Christ, why why do we, why have Christians confessed this for so long? In the Apostles' Creed, we confess not only to believe in God the Father and God the Son, we we confess not only to believe in the, the birth of Jesus, born of the Virgin Mary, not only the, the death and burial of Jesus, we confess to believe of the, the resurrection of Jesus, don't we? And then how he ascended and was seated at the right hand of God the Father. We confess this in the Apostles' Creed. We confess this in the Nicene Creed tonight. And we have considered as well these same truths in our catechism. We give such attention to them because we find them, these truths, revealed in the Scriptures, in both the Old and the New Testament. So, for example, as we read through the Old Testament, we find God, the the power of God exercised in testing, in judging, not only the world in general, but his people in particular, the scriptures tell us that judgment begins with the people of God. And there are so many examples of this in the historical books, the Psalms, the prophets, but I, I couldn't resist drawing an example from um, our sermon series at Grace URC up in Portland. We've been going through Genesis, and in the middle chapters, we hear about the story of Jacob and how that culminates and really re- rises to a climax in uh, and the, in the life of Joseph, in the life of Joseph. And I was intrigued that, that pastor, teacher, John Calvin, as he's introducing Joseph, he identifies Joseph as a, a lively image of Christ, a lively image of Christ. I love that phrase. Calvin looks to Joseph and he says, there is a lively image of Christ. Not speaking about one part or another of Joseph's life, but really speaking about the whole of Joseph, the life of Joseph, the suffering that marked him for so long, the kind of death he experienced as he was thrown into the pit of prison, and then that almost miraculous resurrection from the dead as he's taken out of prison and placed in a place of authority under Pharaoh's Egypt. We have then this, this, this life of Joseph, the suffering of Joseph, the death, the resurrection, the ascension of Joseph to the seat of power, the seat of power over the known world. And just this morning, we were in Genesis chapter 44, when Joseph subpoenas, or we might say summons his brothers to appear before him, and he he issues an arraignment, formal charges of evil that they have committed. And what do we find? But the brothers come, and they, with fear and trembling, knowing that they are going to be tested, and they fall under the judgment of this supreme ruler of Egypt, 
And you know how the story goes. We haven't actually got there at Grace yet. It's next week, Genesis 45. The judge hears their plea of guilty. The judge receives the testimony of Judah. Don't judge them. Judge me in their place. And what does Joseph do? But he breaks down weeping. Pours out upon them the wealth of his kingdom. Pours out upon them an amazing abundance of grace, mercy, and love. What is that? But a lively image of Christ. If we think about Jesus' own life, his suffering, his death, and Matthew 26, as Jesus himself stands in the courtroom, as he has been summoned by the Jewish authorities, as he is is, is arraigned, facing formal charges, what are they but they're charges of blasphemy, the greatest of evil. And Jesus responds to those charges I am, as you say, the Son of God, the Son of Man. And now you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of God Almighty, coming in the clouds of glory. Jesus is speaking of what Joseph so long before anticipated, the session of King Jesus judging the living and the dead. As we consider then what the scriptures reveal about the session of Christ in both the Old and the New Testament, we we make an important distinguishment between not only the humility of Christ's suffering and death, but also the, the exaltation of Christ's resurrection, ascension, and session. If our kids would stop and reflect upon this for a moment, um, the... The resurrection of Jesus was a a momentary act of history, wasn't it? A momentary act of history. Likewise, the ascension of Jesus, a momentary act of history. In one particular time and place, the disciples see Jesus raised up from the earth and into the clouds. The session of Jesus, however, is an ongoing work. As Jesus, we're told, rules the universe by the word of his power. Not some things, all things. What does he say? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And as he sits at the right hand of God the Father, Jesus is exercising the power of his grace to extend his kingdom from Jerusalem through Judea, Samaria, through the ends of the earth, even here in Salem, Oregon today. As we consider then how Jesus ascends to his rightful place alongside of the Father, we know that it expresses, it reveals his power and glory. A revelation of his divine nature, an exaltation of his human nature, we confess in the Catechism, together with the perfection of his office as mediator. Not the end of Jesus' prophetic ministry. Not the end of Jesus' priestly ministry. Not the conclusion of his kingly work. What did we sing from Psalm 110? 
He's a mediator of the order of Melchizedek, meaning that he is the eternal prophet. He is the eternal priest. He is the eternal king. King Jesus. As we study the scriptures, both the Old and the New Testament, we come to see just how clearly God reveals Jesus, his life, death, resurrection, ascension, and session. We might rightly consider that and be filled with fear and trembling. Indeed, the scriptures speak of what it is to come into the presence of Jesus. Those who opposed him filled with fear and trembling. Whether it be the demons, think about the demoniac. This this mighty being which no one could control. This demon-possessed man which would break the strongest ropes that would break steel chains comes rushing at Jesus and, and, and falls at his feet trembling in the presence of the king. And others, how about the scribes and the Pharisees? They were not only filled with hatred for Jesus, they were filled with fear at what this man was, was, was capable of. And one day, every man, woman, and child of every time and place will come before King Jesus for judgment. Whether friend or foe, we will be as Joseph's brothers falling before him. Even the disciples on this side of the cross before the resurrected Christ, what are we told in Matthew 28? They fall on their face before Jesus and they worship. There's no doubt that consideration of King Jesus and the session of Christ is cause for fear and trembling, but tonight we focus on its joy. Tonight we focus in on its benefits uh, as we study the scriptures, what we find is that, is that those who by faith are united with Jesus Christ need not, and in fact should not, be filled with fear and trembling at the thought of being in his presence. But even now we enter into his holy and, and righteous throne room, and we do so with joy, don't we? Because we know that our ascended king pours out the benefits of his Holy Spirit upon us. Along with that, we know that his almighty power is ever for us to protect us from our enemies, to preserve us in union with him, and to provide all that is necessary for us to be in the eternal glory with him, a day still to come. The benefits of Christ's session are indeed manifold. And we confess those things because, again, what we read of, of in, in the scriptures, for example, Ephesians chapter 1 that we heard of this, morning, uh, this, this evening, it, it begins 
celebrating God and the gospel, the eternal reality of Christ, even before the foundation of the world, he says, you've been chosen in him. And it goes on to speak in this wonderful language about the abounding grace of God towards us through the gospel of Jesus Christ, through the person and work of Jesus Christ. That language, in him, did you notice as it was read tonight, the repetition of in him, in him, in Christ. It's a union with Jesus Christ. God is impressing upon us with the words of this text what it is to be at peace with him, in fellowship with him, sharing not enmity but love with Jesus. Verse 15 Verse 13 says, verse 13, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. See, there's the first benefit, the gift of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. You see then, Christian confidence is not found in what you or I have done, but rather Christian confidence is found in what Christ has done. Inspired and strengthened by the gift and guarantee of his Holy Spirit. That's what the text says. Christian confidence is found in Christ and what Christ has done and what Christ is doing by his preserving power and what Christ will one day do when he returns in glory. Verse 15 continues to speak about the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. It's the same power that's at work within the believer. Think about that. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the same power that is at work within you and me, Christian. And we have assurance that it will continue through Jesus' session, seated at the right hand in the heavenly places. In ancient times, kings would go out for war. And the victorious ones would not only go out to war, they would come back home. And and following behind the great kings would be the great spoils of war. The the material things, the gold, the the, the silver, the, the chariots, the crafts, the clothing that they had won along with, and you can picture this, along with the shackled men, women, and children, beat, broken, bruised, crying, wailing that they and their lives have been so destroyed. The victorious king with his train of captives. But you know, King Jesus works in a very different way. What we find in the psalmist, Psalm 68, is that 
is that King Jesus goes into foreign lands and he wages a battle and he wins great victory. And as he returns home to his kingdom, he has behind him the spoils of war, not broken, beaten, weeping and wailing people but those who have been set free and with him find joy, satisfaction, and fulfillment in all that he has won. You see, Jesus comes and he frees us from our enemies. He defeats the power of Satan. He crushes the power of sin. And together with him, then, we are brought into the eternal heavenly kingdom. Ephesians 4 says, When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. Captivity captive. That's you and me. Those who were once captive to the powers and principalities of this present evil age, we are now captive to Christ. And he pours out, lavishes upon us the gifts of his kingdom. First and foremost, through the judgment of his word and spirit within our lives, which you tasted and shared this morning, which we now taste and share again this evening, a feast of the soul. Jesus is lavishing upon us the riches of his kingdom, a spiritual feast now that will one day become a spiritual and physical reality. He gave gifts to men. We taste them now. But, oh, congregation, there's so much more to come. There is so much more to come. What is the ultimate purpose of this session? What is the ultimate purpose of Christ's session? Well, it is the final judgment is the final judgment of the living and the dead. Jesus spoke of this often in his earthly ministry, and Jesus continues to speak of it even now through the the, the preaching and teaching ministry of his church. That while judgment begins with the people of God, who by grace, through faith, are justified There is a judgment still to come. When every man, woman, and child of every time and place, the living and the dead, will stand before Jesus for judgment. How many will come before him with fear and trembling? Bodies broken, crippled by such a glory. Maybe you. But it, has, it doesn't have to be you. You see, that's why today is the day of salvation. That's why today Jesus continues to exercise the, the sword of his, of his spirit, the power of his word, that sinners would be saved today. That we can anticipate the coming glory of Jesus and the final judgment. Not with fear, but with joy. Could it be for me, even me? Oh, yes. Today there can be that comfort, knowing Christ has already stood 
in your place. Today there can be that comfort that Christ and the cross has already removed the curse of sin from you. Today there can be that comfort that Jesus Christ has destroyed the power of your enemies. Today there can be that comfort that Jesus has and will take us into the joy of heaven. That's what we confess. How does Christ's return to judge the living and the dead comfort you? Listen to this. In all distress and persecution, with uplifted head, I confidently await the very judge who has already offered himself to the judgment of God in my place and has then removed the whole curse from me. Christ will cast all his enemies and mine into everlasting condemnation, but, but he, will, he will take me and all of his chosen ones to himself into the eternal joy and glory of heaven. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for seeing us, knowing our need, and lovingly responding with the gift of your own Son. And Jesus, we thank you for taking upon yourself our sin, that you became sin, that through your cross and resurrection we might with you be the very righteousness of God. We thank you for the assurance of forgiveness, for the the confidence that being justified inspires. And we pray that we would be increasingly sanctified, that, that we would truly be faithful witnesses and testimonies to this amazing work of grace for sinners such as we are. We ask, O Father, that it would be lavished not only upon us, but upon our family members, our friends, that King Jesus would be known by them, and that that those we know and love would anticipate final judgment, not with fear, but joy. We ask the same for our neighbors. We ask the same, O Lord, for so many throughout this land of the world, that your kingdom would come into their hearts and lives, that your will would be done for them and their good as well. In Jesus' name, amen.